Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy and welcome to 2021. My goodness. It is, uh, it's been a heck of a year, wasn't it? 2020 was just crazy with COVID and all the other things going on politically and economically. And it is so good to have that in our rear view mirror. And we are got the pedal to the metal and we are striving in 2021, as we even did through the tra- the uh, challenges and adversity, uh, you know, we're always striving to be that best possible version of ourselves. Um, and if we were able to achieve that with all of the distractions in 2020, and we can remove some of those distractions, um, either just because they go away of themselves, or we've adopted uh, new tools, or or we've learned how to use um, existing tools even better, then how good could 2021 be? I'm going to find out. So I am pledging to you to make 2021 the most effective and soul-searching and result-oriented 2021 for the entirety of Recovery Guy. I've been doing this a long time. I was becoming well now. I started um, my website and really an approach to social media and getting out there back in 2006 with becoming well now. And then it's sort of grown into this. And now we are so committed, Jonathan and I and my daughter Jane, we're so committed to producing this content. Of course, Susie has joined us with her blogs every other week. And so pretty excited about that as well. So let's talk about it. You know, back on December 8th, my daughter, Carol, who's a huge fan of this podcast and, of course, a fan of her pops and and I'm a total fan of hers as well and watching her journey um, of, of her own personal wellness and her quest. And it turns out that I'm actually her favorite podcaster, which is uh, quite a blessing considering what our background was and how we've worked through things to become these adult friends and 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 I'm her dad and she's my incredible daughter and and yet we are adult friends and and I'm just overwhelmed with uh, the work that God has done there. Back on December eighth, though, I uh, did a podcast called Steps for Life. Uh, so go back. And maybe you want to go back either after listening to this podcast and listen to Steps for Life on December 8th. And Carol said to me afterwards, she said, Pop, why don't you do more on the steps? Why don't you talk more about the 12 steps of recovery? Because they are a universal plan of living. It really doesn't matter to me and hopefully not to you what you're recovering from right? We're, we're all broken. Something has broken all of us in, in shape of our life. And, and for some of us, we become more distracted than the next person. But we're all recovering from something, right? I, I agree. You know, and if you're a person who says you're not recovering from anything, I would, um, I would challenge you to take an honest inventory. And maybe you don't have to recover as much 
or as long as some people like me or others like me. Um, however, recovering is always a great place to be because if I'm not in recovery, I'm saying I'm satisfied with who I am and I don't have any more work to do. What a way to miss out on life. And I don't want to miss a thing, right? To quote uh, Steven Tyler and Aerosmith. So go back to uh, December 8th and check out uh, Steps for Life. Today and every Tuesday for the next 12 weeks, we are going to be doing one step and then on Friday, we're going to be doing another topical uh, podcast. And of course, Wednesday, Thursday, we've got our regular blogs. So today is step one. The journey begins. And at the end of this podcast, I'll let you know how you can reach out to me and even support this recovery movement if you like. And so again, I just want to formally inter- you know, welcome you to 2021. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you just happen to stumble upon us, welcome Welcome to Recovery Guy. And and I could not think of a better way to ring in the new year than to discuss in depth the 12 steps of recovery. I tell you, I'm entering into my 35th year of personal recovery. Uh, in February uh, of this year, I will. I first went into recovery. I relapsed after 71 days. Five days later, I was fortunate enough to come back to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that was April 25th of 1986. And I've been able, through the grace of God and the power of the 12 steps of recovery, to be recovered and to have continual sobriety. So I'm going into my 35th year of personal recovery. And let me tell you, it never gets old. It's always fresh. It's always real. It's always energetic. The energy you hear from me is just because I'm talking about recovery. You don't have to do much. You just have to sort of, you don't even have to wind me up, right? You just have to say, Robert, tell us about your personal recovery. What has your journey been like? And just leave me alone, put me in a room, I don't need to be scripted. I can just talk forever and ever and ever because my journey has been so remarkable. And that is because of the 12 steps. Everything that I have, I've learned through the plan of recovery. And even as a Christian from the word of God and understanding that and how it applies and makes sense with it all, right? So over the next 12 weeks, we're going to be discussing in depth the 12 steps and how it practically applies in our recovery journey. Because this is a journey. Thank God it's not a destination. Thank God I will not be done until I die. And then I go on to even a better place. So I understand once again that many of us, we recover from a multitude or multiple things while others are more individually specific in a particular substance or behavior. That being said, we can all use the steps as a means of taking control back, and that is the control of our lives. We were out of control, and now I gain control. Matter of fact, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it even says that I am now easily able to control my desire from alcohol. If you have a problem with that, That is a quote from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. So remember, your problem is not with me. It's with the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because we can have control back based on the power of our higher power as infused in us as we break down the barriers and begin to resurrect a relationship with God as we would understand God. I want you to understand, though, that if there is any step that we or you need to do 
as close to perfection as possible, it is step one. My dear friend, Pete the Greek, when I was first going to the turning point in Las Vegas, Nevada, back in 1986, and Pete was a room service waiter at Caesars, and I think about 18 years sober at the time, and Pete didn't say a lot, but he talked about step one. And he told me, especially after I came back from my relapse, he said, Bob, let me tell you, step one is the one step you will have to do to perfection. Because I would ask Pete, hey, Pete, what step are you on, right? 18 years sobriety, you want some deep hidden truths, some inner meaning? He said, I'm on step one. And I said, what do you mean step one? There's 11 other steps. He said, you'll understand later. Step one is the step that we need to do to perfection. And if we don't, we could have a problem. Step one is so vital to the next 11 steps. A person who does not fully concede, as it says in the big book, to their innermost self that they have an addiction from which they need to recover from will likely never do the remaining steps to achieve the life transformation that recovery requires, period. Anything short of admitting 100% defeat will most always cause a person to relapse. You may disagree with that authoritative or, or resolute opinion, and that's quite all right. I hope your disagreement doesn't cause you to continue to relapse. I hope that somewhere along the line, you understand that that is true for you. It is necessary for you to recover. It says in the 12 and 12, which I really love, and, and if you don't have a big book, that's fine. I share so many things with you and so many stuff I put in the notes, and you can always message me after the fact. But it says that who cares to admit defeat? Practically no one, of course. And it says that unless we admit complete defeat, complete defeat, Unless, and I'm going to quote again, until he so humbles himself, his sobriety or recovery, if anything, will be precarious. Of real happiness, he will find none at all. And again, you can disagree with that, and I'm perfectly okay. But if you do disagree with it, I hope that it's not the cause of your relapse. Here's one of the biggest things about step one. I mean, if you're going to take step one, why not take the rest of the steps? However, step one in some ways is the easiest step because it sort of opens the door. It's the hardest, but it's the easiest. And it's the hardest because we have to admit, again, complete defeat. Uh, I remember when Blanchard wrote his book, The One Minute Manager, one of the things he taught us in management training was to, before you fire someone, before you get rid of someone, you have to look in the mirror, tell yourself you failed, and then go back and fire them. That's one of the hardest things that we do, to look in the mirror of our soul, to look in the mirror image of who we are, what we have become, and admit that we failed. Admit that we have 100% defeat. Admit we are powerless. Admit that our life had become unmanageable. That's very difficult to do. But if we don't do it, if I did not do it, and matter of fact, that was the cause of my relapse. I didn't think that my life was unmanageable. 
And so what did I do? I went back to my old life working for Wayne Newton and that sort of nightclub after hours escort life as I would move people in and out of the showroom and back to the Shenandoah and be involved with all of that glitter, that glam life where alcohol was involved in the dressing room and other social events that we had. You know, when Robin Leeds from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous came out and did an expose on Wayne Newton at the Shenandoah, we were all a part of that. And 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 that's just what the life was, right? And so I didn't, I thought I could manage that life. I wasn't willing to give up, willing to admit that level of unmanageability. And I went back to that group thinking I would be okay. But you know what? In a relatively short period of time, when I gave up, the the fact that I was my life was unmanageable, I also came to believe that I wasn't powerless over alcohol. And it was just a matter of minutes, it seemed like, that I was back drinking. And if you're like me, with alcohol or drugs or other addictive behavior, once you open that door and make that excuse to have one, you can't stop. Because the progression of the disease says that once I have one, I can't help from have another. That is that mental obsession coupled with the physical allergy. Now, one of the great news about my recovery is that as long as I take care of the mental obsession, which is found in the powerlessness and the unmanageability, then the physical allergy, that that that, that DNA uh, structure that tells me I can't stop once I start, that never that that never is a in play. And that's why we don't, we don't have to be cured. I, I doubt if I would ever be cured. I, why would I want to be cured? What if I would stop? What if I thought I was cured? Would I stop in recovery? I might, and I don't want to stop this, right? So, so being okay with powerlessness and unmanageability, and I mean, okay, only to the degree that it beats the alternative, so what does it mean to be powerless? And our good friends, dictionary.com, never let us down. Powerless means to un, be unable to produce an effect. Lacking power to act. And I love this last word, helpless. I was helpless. You know, we recover from a hopeless state of mind and body, right? In the forward to the first edition. And when it came to alcohol, I was unable to produce an effect. What effect? I was unable to go to the bar at five o'clock, have just one and be home by six. I was unable to produce that effect. I could not have a result. I lost the ability to become a successful drinker, right? Matter of fact, one of the one of the things about finding out if you're alcoholic or drug addict is try some controlled drinking, try some con controlled gambling, try some controlled overeating, try try to just throw up once, right? I mean, it, it's not possible for me. I was unable to produce the effect of staying sober or showing up where I was supposed to show up. I lacked the power to say no once I said yes, and I became helpless in my pursuit of living a life that included alcohol, drugs, throwing up, 
compulsive overeating, again, gambling, you name it. That was, that was me. I had to recognize what everyone else knew. See, that's one of the things. Everybody else knows. Everyone around us, they've been trying to tell us for years. Well, they were telling me. I didn't want to listen. I, I Because I didn't want to think it was me. I needed to think it was others. But lack of power, that was my dilemma. That's what it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what it says in the plan of recovery. So I had to admit I was powerless over alcohol or again, whatever your substance or behavior is. And my life had become unmanageable. What does unmanageable mean? Unmanageable means difficult or impossible to control, use or manipulate. Difficult is, is a nice way. For me, it was impossible to control, to use or manipulate. I could not control my life. My life was spiraling. It was out of control. I lost the ability to choose. You know what I'm talking about? My life was so unmanageable. I did not have a successful relationship. No matter how hard that other person tried, whether it was mom, dad, sibling, spouse, children, employer, friend, confidant, you name it. My life was unmanageable. But I didn't want you to manage my life because I did not want to admit. Again, who likes to admit complete defeat? Practically no one. And I would imagine you were like that as well. You know, and here's the thing. As we open up the door to take these other 11 steps, we always have to remember that we are powerless and our life had become unmanageable. And here's how vital it was for me. When I got clean and sober back in 1986, as most of you know, I lived in Las Vegas. I was a food server when I, when I went into treatment. I was unemployed for about three months, thank God for slow will and his couch, kept me from being homeless. And I would go to meetings and, and make some money where I could and then when I went back to work, I had to make money right away. I ended up being a coffee shop waiter, a graveyard coffee shop waiter at Fitzgerald's restaurant downtown. It's no longer there. But Fitzgerald, I was, you know, serving margaritas and 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 um, and, and, and dollar Bloody Marys, right, at uh, three o'clock in the morning. And I had to understand how powerless I was and how manage unmanageable my life had become while I was serving alcohol. This is how powerful this can be because many people would say, how could you get sober there? I, re I remember it when I was a year and a half clean and sober and I decided to relocate back to Southern California and thank God for my sponsor, Jack, helping me put a plan together. And, and I subsequently moved and I stayed with uh, my sister, Mary, and my brother-in-law, Brent, and God bless them for helping me get that journey back. And, and I was a, a, a dinner waiter uh, at Black Angus Restaurant in uh, Fullerton. 
And this was before I got into restaurant management and so on. So I was still serving cocktails and so on and doing that. And I would go to the Fullerton Olano Club back in those days. It was over on Harbor Boulevard. And, and I would, you know, in the beginning, I would raise my hand as an out-of-town visitor. And after a while, people just knew me uh, being from Las Vegas. And so I was still very naive. I was a year and a half into the program and still trying to find my way, as so many of us are. And, and I remember somebody coming up to me after the meeting and they found out I was, you know, clean and sober in Las Vegas and I moved to Southern California and they said, man, how did you get clean and sober in Las Vegas? And again, being naive and I'm not always the sharpest pencil in the box. I, I looked at them and I, and part of me thought, is this a trick question? How'd I get sober there? And so my response was, you know, I was going to answer a question with a question. And I said to them, well, how did you get sober here? And they said, well, I go to meetings. I talk to my sponsor. I work the 12 steps. I read the big book, you know, the ABCs of sobriety. And I said, well, of course, man, that's how we do it in Las Vegas. No big deal. And, and I realized that no matter where I went, I was going to have to live by the tenets of powerlessness and unmanageability. And if I could conquer that in Las Vegas, I could conquer that anywhere, right? And so understanding my foundation, my total foundation to my recovery, to all of the other 11 steps that I take are grounded in, I am powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable. And that is what I recover from that seemingly hopeless state of mind and body that tells me I must drink. And then once I do, I can't stop or the same with using or the other behaviors that, that got me to, to this point. And so step one is the granddaddy of them all. And that's why Pete the Greek in his wonderful wisdom said that it is step one that I must do to perfection. And I remember even Russian Ted telling me about powerlessness and unmanageability when he talked about a train coming down the track. He said, Robert, uh, you know, if, if a 130 car train came down the track and you were standing on the tracks at that time, how much did the caboose do with killing you? And I thought for a second again, is this a trick question? And I said, well, nothing. And he said, which, which one would kill you? And I said, well, the engine, the first car that hit me. And he said, exactly. And it's the first drink that gets you drunk. That is why the power of understanding our powerlessness and unmanageability. And the great thing about this is, and why it's so exciting is once we get that out of the way, once we clear that hurdle, once we sit down and say, I can't do this anymore. My life is a shambles. I'm powerless. Every time I drink, every time I use, every time I engage in that behavior, my life is only revealed as being more unmanageable. Guess what? We're introduced to step two, where we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So we look down the tunnel of life. And in the past, that light at the end of the tunnel would be a train because we had not admitted our powerlessness or unmanageability. But when we get to recovery, that light at the end of the tunnel is step two and all of the other steps that we will take to resurrect our life. Step one is so important. I hope you understand 
why it is important. I hope you are willing to take this step. It says in the big book in how it works with all the earnestness, and this is a quote, with all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. That fearlessness and thoroughness, as my dear friend Scotty B would say, comes and is grounded in step one. Scott deals with a group of people in Southern California called Welcome Home Sober Living, an incredible um, restoration group for women and children, and it reunites families. But Scott and Melissa and the rest of the managers talk to these women and say, until you understand how powerless and unmanageable your life is, you're not going to get your family back. And let me ask you a question. If you really had power over your life and your life wasn't unmanageable, what the heck are you doing in a 12-step recovery? Why are you on your knees? If you're not powerless or unmanageable, why is your marriage falling apart? Why can't you have a successful relationship? Why do we keep losing jobs? Why do friends no longer want to be with us? Why do siblings disown us as they did me? Why do mom and dad, my dad, my dad, God bless him, he got sober nine years before I got sober. And two and a half years prior to his death, he and I became the friends I always wanted us to be. What an incredible story my dad was. God rest his soul. And and what a great memory and example he gave me nine years uh, uh, before he died. And again, two and a half years we had together, greatest years of my life. But I remember my dad taking me to the Rhett Butler Motel after I had relapsed and I tried to spend the night and he took me to the Rhett Butler Hotel and afterward he would tell me, Bobby, your mother and I, we never thought we would see you alive again. And that broke his heart. But that struck to the core of how powerless I was and how unmanageable my life had become that my own dad thought I was going to die and he had to send me away so he didn't have to watch me die. Maybe you're not there yet. And if you aren't, fantastic. One of the great things about recovery is we try to do what is called lower the bottom. So maybe you don't have to sink as far as some of us did. Lord knows I didn't sink as far as others did. Maybe you don't have to sink as far as I did. Maybe you can come to admit you're powerless and your life is unmanageable, and maybe you'll follow this journey with us over the next 12 weeks, that you'll go back and listen to Steps for Life from December 8th. And every Tuesday, like clockwork, we will produce a podcast for the next 12 weeks on the steps of recovery. Step one, step two, you name it, we will go through them one by one. I want you to let me know, give me your feedback. I want you to fully embrace Step one, the journey begins, and what a journey it is. I want to thank you so much for joining this podcast today. What a blessing it is to be with another year with you, and our commitment is to produce another 104 podcasts over the next 52 weeks that we can join in together, and again, in brotherly and harmonious action. And as I like to say, we got broken apart, but we get whole together. Go to recovery underscore guy and follow me on Instagram. 
Go to the Recovery Guy on Facebook. Go to recoveryguy.org. If you want to support us, go to your favorite podcast channel for my podcast. Uh, every other week, um, uh, Susie is doing a blog with us. All of the blogs, all of the podcasts are are put on recoveryguy.org. You can go to recoveryguy.org and find our Patreon donation site or go to patreon.com forward slash recoveryguy. Or if you want to do a one-time gift, you can go to Venmo at robert-pardon-3 and you can give a one-time donation there. Everything that comes in goes directly back into supporting this ministry, this movement, this mission of recovery. And as always, my name is Robert and I am the Recovery Guy.